Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is November the 8th, 2016. This is episode 1895 of the Survival Podcast, and it is a Tuesday. That means it's a Just Jack show, and uh, today we are going to talk about leadership. And we're going to talk about leadership because, well... <clears throat> I'm amazed when I go to Facebook right now and I take a look at you guys fighting with each other about never Trump, never Hillary, all that stupid crap that's been going on for, well, the whole year of the Ask Clown Circus. And that doesn't really surprise me. It's election day, emotions are high, but I, I keep seeing a common theme in, in a lot of posts. We need leadership. We need a leader. You know, we need new leaders. We need leaders. And uh, you're going to hear about the election all day, nonstop, from any media outlet you put on. And tonight they'll be acting like you're watching a Super Bowl game or something as results begin to come in and they, they begin to figure out who's going to win this thing. And uh, so I don't want to talk about that today. I want to talk about leadership. And, and the problem with leadership in our country is that we think leadership is, well, that's the guy that is the head of the team, Uh, either a sports team or at work, or he's a uh, you know a mayor or a governor or a president or something like that. What, what defines leadership in the minds of most Americans today is that they have people that they're leading, and there is a tremendous failure in leadership in our country today. There really is, and there has been for for quite a while. But the the greatest failure of leadership is not in the type of leaders that that we usually think of when you say the word leadership and. You know, most books that you'll buy on leadership talk about delegating responsibilities and stuff, also inferring that there's a team, that the leader is the head of the team. And that, that seems to make rational sense to us, and it does in context. In fact, there's multiple types of leaders on teams and in, in, in corporate situations and political situations as well. When I was uh, kind of cutting my chops as a salesperson in the telecommunications industry for a couple of years, I worked for a company called Data Connection. And in Data Connection, I was a sales manager, but, I mean, it kind of fits what we're talking about today. I was That meant I managed my accounts, right? That didn't mean that anybody reported to me whatsoever. I was as low as anybody could be as far as having authority over, you know, other people. Guys that I worked with that, that saw me as equals had more authority because they would be something like a project manager and have teams to lead where, you know, I had only myself. Yet within about six months of being in this company, I had more authority than a lot of people with titles because I earned respect from my fellow coworkers. And they would come to me with problems and they would follow my suggestions and things like that. So we think of leadership in that context and, and it, it makes sense to a degree. But one of the great characteristics of anybody that is an effective leader of men or women or teams or people or soldiers or, or citizens or whatever it is, is they must first be able to lead themselves. And a nation that is supposed to be like our nation is supposed to be, a constitutional republic, a nation that is supposed to be led by its citizens, uh, cannot do that. It cannot succeed in that unless its citizens, by and large, are self-leaders. And that leadership that has failed in our world today is not the politicians, because they were never supposed to lead us. The leadership that has failed is self-leadership. We don't self-lead. We want somebody else to do it for us. The most important thing in our life, we want to outsource to somebody that doesn't give a shit about us. So today we're going to talk about taking that responsibility back. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. 
Hey guys, want to show off your survival podcast pride by shopping at tspgear.com where we have awesome tools like the pocket shot, slingshot, and the TSP edition of the Genesis Knife by MT Knives, along with shirts, patches, and more. Learn more at tspgear.com. You know, Western Botanicals is my personal first choice for everything herbal, from whole raw herbs to preparations and ointments. In fact, two products I use all the time from Western Botanicals are the Deep Heat Ointment and the Turmeric Combo. Western Botanicals is the no-nonsense, no-hype herbal source you can trust. Learn more at westernbotanicals.com. With that, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1895, because the episode is 1895. Alex Shrugged has three for us today. Taking a wild leap off your own pedestal, a compromise on civil rights, and limits on the right to strike. We also have notable births. Gracie Allen, comedian and wife of George Burns. Say goodnight, Gracie. J. Edgar Hoover, director of the FBI until 1972. He will scare the living snot out of politicians, including presidents, because of his secret files. Buckminster Fuller, he will coin the term Spaceship Earth and patent the geodesic dome. The geodesic carbon structure C60 will be called the Buckyball in his honor. Like, I had to say, Buckminster Fuller is one of the greatest thinkers of all time. In other news, X-rays are discovered this year. The space elevator is first conceived. The Russian pioneer of rocket scientist uh, Sovkovsky suggests the tower into space might be constructed. And volleyball is invented at the YMCA because basketball is, well, just too violent. The one I'm going to read for you is taking a wild leap off your own pedestal. When you're at the height of your career, try not to stumble over your own feet because it can be a very quick trip to the bottom. Oscar Wilde has reached his pinnacle. He's the author of The Picture of Dor Dorian, Gray, Dorian Gray, which almost got him arrested on morals charges. Yet he remains the favorite of the Bohemian in Tara's, Tiara's crowd. Uh, his play, The Importance of Being Earnest, premieres in London this year. It is satire on the trivial restrictions of Victorian society like fidelity, honesty, and the purity of love and marriage. The Marquise de Quinsbury is sick of Oscar, so he leaves a note labeling him a posing sodomite. Apparently the Marquise can't spell, but you get the idea. Since sodomy is a crime in England, Wilde has the Marquis arrested for libel. This is a mistake, because even in London, the truth is a very powerful defense. As the trial unfolds, Wilde, Oscar Wilde's sexual antics are revealed. In Victorian society, people will look the other way as long as one doesn't make a spectacle out of oneself. But Oscar is making a spectacle. Wilde is arrested for gross indecency. Bail is posted by Reverend Stuart Hedlum on principle. Good man. Wilde will be found guilty and sentenced to two years hard labor. Hard labor in Victorian times is very hard. After his release, he will leave for France, never to return. His health and finances will dindle away. He is done. <clears throat> My take by Alex Shrugged. He's going to mention two people in here that he's mentioned in the past. If you don't have the context, just know they were people he knew. Regarding the self-destructive decisions, I was in my 20s when I met Charlie. When he spoke, he was amazing. But my friend Duffy didn't like Charlie's talk of personal renewal and the power of God. I admired Duffy, but I decided to call Charlie and ask a few questions, big questions, like, why did God make me this way, and why would he want to help me? I didn't expect big answers, but Charlie had no answers at all. I hung up. Maybe Charlie was having a bad day. Indeed, he was. Two days later, Charlie pushed a thirty-eight into his mouth and blew the back of his head off. Obviously, I identified the problem because he didn't shoot himself in the heart. I think we had pushed him too high on that pedestal. He wanted to get down in the worst way, so he found the worst way. Now, whenever people are tempted to heap more praise on me than I deserve, I step down a little. I take the applause for what I deserve, but no more than that. 
The other lesson I learned was never to let people fix me. I had tried to put my life in Charlie's hands when he could barely hang on his own. Now I will pray for guidance, consult doctors, and read helpful books, but the decisions will remain in my hands no matter how many therapists I hire. It took around six or seven, as I recall. I needed help, yet I could go back in time and tell my younger self the name of the last therapist. It would have done me no good. It took all of those other experts, and even Charlie, before I could understand. It has been well over 30 years since Charlie took his own life, yet I still think of him. And I tell Charlie's story every couple of months. Charlie paid in cash for this lesson. Now I have passed it on to you. Make it count. Indeed. And I think this fits well with our discussion today on leadership. It's why I chose this segment. Um, I think one of the things that if you want to be an effective leader, and if you do the things I'm going to talk about today, and you start with leading yourself, you'll find at some point you'll look behind you and there'll be people following you. And it's, it's an incredible burden of leadership when people place uh, too much faith in your hands, too much power in your hands. Uh, they'll do exactly what you say without question. That, that's, that's very scary for a leader. A good leader never wants people that follow him blindly. He wants people that follow him because they believe in what he's doing. And as you do uh, attain success in your life and you do obtain a certain number of people that admire you, it is good to remain humble. Uh, it's something that I've always tried to do. And I think I'm very grateful, I'm very, very grateful that TSP came into my life in my late 30s rather than my early 20s. I think if I had had this kind of success with this type of um, a medium when I was 24 years old, I don't know that I would have handled it very well. I really don't. I think I would have thought I was more important and better than I am. I think that if we go through life right and we go through the trials of life right, we become more resilient. If we take shortcuts, if we believe our own bullshit, if we try to do things for others that they won't do for themselves, we create misery, and sometimes the worst things come from that. I've had more than one person in my life that has done the same thing that Alex's friend did and take their own life under many different circumstances. While the circumstances are very different, what this story makes me think of is a friend of mine who's named Clint Hedder. And it's interesting that I know two Clintons that uh, that have committed suicide, both in their teens. One is a, a, a good friend's son that I remember as a little boy, and this other Clinton who I remembered as a good friend in high school. Clinton was that guy. Everybody loved him. Everybody loved him. And the day before school started, our senior year, looking forward to seeing my friend the next day, and my dad says, did you know a Clint Hedder? And I said, Yes, I did. I do, you know. He says, I'm sorry to tell you, he passed away. I read it, his obituary in the paper. And, you know, like your head's spinning. Like, how can this, what happened? You're thinking some kind of accident. He committed suicide. And we had found out that he had had a girl break up with him. This was a guy that had girls bouncing off of his, you know, off of him wherever he went. He, he didn't need this girl. He's so young. But what happens sometimes is people become so enamored with where they are in life, they can't remember where they're headed. That's a good lesson, and it takes us into this discussion of leadership, maybe with the right frame of mind, because it can be that serious. So what I want to start out with is, and, and some of you know my story, and you've heard this before, but it'll be brief. And many of you are new listeners or newer listeners and haven't heard the real Genesis story of TSP. And it came up today in a question about you know building a business and working a job. And I want to tell you what it was like for me when I was building TSP. 
I was an owner in a company that owned three companies, okay? But I didn't own the company. The company owned me because I wasn't, I wasn't the majority partner in any of them. You know, I was a, I was an equal partner in one of the subcorporations, and I was a minor partner in the holding corporation. Had small pieces of ownership of the others. So people looked at that and said, "Well, you you can create your own rules and stuff." And well, to a degree, yeah. But you know, again, back to leadership and having one of those companies have 50 people, and you got to make payroll for every week. And I was really, I was really becoming very, very miserable in my life. I really hated what I was doing. I watched a Gary Vaynerchuk um, video one day where he was like. You know, if, if don't do things you hate, don't do things you hate, because you can go just as broke doing things you love. And it was a, it was at one of the first uh, big social uh, networking, uh, you know, for social media uh, conventions in uh, New York. And I watched that video in my office, and it was right before lunchtime. And I got in my car to go, you know, go find some lunch somewhere. And I realized about five minutes into it that I was on the tollway, headed south, which would be how I would go home. And I had no intention of stopping anywhere to eat. I was leaving, and I thought, "Well, you, 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 you can't do this, Jack. This is not this is not responsible. You, you do have people depending on you, and you do have a payroll to make this week, and you do have all these other things, and you have commitments that you've made." So I took the next exit and found a place to eat abuelos, if I remember right, great Mexican food. And I sat there alone, eating a plate of enchiladas and, and, and uh, fajita steak, thinking to myself, "Well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do?" Because this cannot go on for much longer. And I had just gotten a client who had said he wanted a blog, a podcast, a whole night. He wanted everything. And we had done all this type of work for people before in our media company, and but we had never done a podcast. And my, um, my, my web designer, my head web designer said, well, I can do all this stuff, but I don't know how to set up podcast feeds. And it turned out to be really easy. And I'm like, I'll figure that out. You just build the blog in WordPress. That's what everybody else uses. That's what we support, so do that, and I'll take care of the podcast stuff. And so I'm sitting there, and I thought to myself, on this day, you hate what you're doing. What do you love to do? And I said to myself, well, I love to teach. I actually have conversations with myself like this, but I'm not crazy. My, my mother had me tested, right? You guys know where that's from? Uh, a pretty good show, I would say. Anyway, so um, I have this convers these deep conversations with myself, which is part of self-leadership, by the way. And I said, well, I'm going to... I'm going to do a podcast to figure out how to do this stuff. I might as well do something I like, and I like self-sufficiency. I like survivalism. I see a lot of problems in the country. I think everybody's about to take one of the biggest financial baths in the world. This would have been June of 2008. So I got this little MP3 recorder and a headset, and I started doing this show in my car. And like The first show is terrible. It's like 10 minutes long. It's staticky as shit. It's before I even got the microphone for the recorder. And uh, it was basically just saying what the show was going to be. But I was already talking in that episode. If you go back and listen to it, I was already talking like there was an audience. Well, there clearly was no audience. Until I published it, there was no possible way for anybody to have heard it. And, and, but I knew I was onto something. And the first day I did that, when I got home, I didn't want to punch a hole in the wall. I wanted to work on the next day's material. And... After about two to three weeks of doing this, I had like a couple hundred people subscribed on iTunes. And I went, yeah, this is it. I love to teach. I love to teach. I, I've spent my whole life learning all this shit. And I can learn anything I don't know in a week. I'm going to do this. 
And I did it for about three months before I even told my wife what I was doing. And she was wondering why I was working so many extra hours and stuff. I finally told her. And I said, you know what? This is going to work. And I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to be on Glenn Beck's show. Right? <laughs> just because Glenn Beck was really big at the time and it seemed like a good fit. It was just like, that was like setting a vision. Like, I'm going to be on Glenn Beck's show. For the first 18 months, generally my days went like this. I worked... 10 hours or more a day, and I was really holding like three hats at the place. President of one company, COO of another company, and and and, and basically marketing director for another company in, in this, this menagerie. With all these people that I couldn't help because they thought they were smarter than me because they went to Stanford or went to Harvard or whatever, and none of them had a clue about what they were really doing. But I did my job, and I helped make sure that we made payroll every week, and everybody got paid, and contractors got paid, and everything happened the way that it was supposed to happen, and we continued to build the company, and I did everything I could for that, eight, ten, sometimes 12 hours a day. Sometimes my partner, Neil, would need me to be there for client entertainment, which everybody thinks is great until you have to do it, because it's going to the bar and having drinks, and whatever. but it's talking to people you don't really want to talk to, to sell them ideas they don't want to believe, so that they'll work with your company So it's like dragging people, like dragging fish in the boat and clubbing them, you know? And we had a lot of fun with it, too. But in the end, like, you just want to go home. And then, you know, sometimes I'd get home at 7 o'clock at night. Sometimes I'd get home at 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. I'd be the best father and husband I could be for two or three hours and be completely sapped. Sometimes feeling like when I walked up the stairs, I was going to fall asleep on the way up the stairs. And I'd hit the bed, and about 3.30 in the morning, my phone would go off. And I would get up and shut it off and be very quiet so I didn't disturb my wife. I would slink down the stairs. I'd go get a cup of coffee, turn the light on in my office, and I'd start putting together the next day's show. I put together the outline. I'd do everything, the blog post, all of it. The only thing that wasn't there was the audio file. I'd get in the car with a notebook or some 5 by 7 cards with the outline I'd put together, and I'd do the show. I'd get to the office. I'd walk in. I'd close the door to my office. At least had that level of executive privilege to tell people to leave me the hell alone plug my recorder in, I download it, I had a template made in, in Vegas, I drop it in, it take me five minutes, upload, publish, and I was done with TSP for the day, and I worked my ass off all day long on that, and then I did it again, and again, and again, and again. I went on about four hours of sleep to five hours of sleep a night, during the weekdays anyway, for about a year and a half. I would spend a lot of time on the weekends getting stuff together to get ahead so I didn't maybe have to get up at 3.30 every day in the coming week. I dedicated so much time. I was on the forum. I was on the blog. I was on Facebook. I was answering questions. I was answering comments. I was doing everything I can to build it. My wife was beginning to get frustrated with me. You're never here anymore. I know, honey. It won't be like this for long. I just need to do this. And because she loved me and because she believed in me, she dealt with it. She didn't like it, but she dealt with it. And 18 months, almost exactly 18 months from the start date, it was actually 20 days earlier, January 1st, 2010, I officially left my employment. And the first workday back after that, I did my first podcast as a free man with no attachment to my work whatsoever. I was done. I was done. And from there, I spent the next six years building TSP into what it has, has been today. And it was all easier after that. I made the show bigger. It takes more time now. It takes more work now. But it's all that I really do now. 
And what got me through that 18 months was 100% self-leadership. If you want anything that's that big in your life, no matter what it is, that's what's going to get you there. By the way, 12 months later, my wife quit her job. Neither of us have held a job since, well, her 2011 and me 2010. And actually, really, 2009 for me and 20, 2010 for her. Because that say she did the same thing I did. Gave notice going into, going into Christmas and just didn't go back that year. And that's the reward. Now, here's the truth about this. Many people will look at a journey like that and talk about how hard it is. But few will take the first step onto a journey like that. Very few. And that's your advantage if you'll do it. Because if you'll do what others won't, you gain the advantage because you're willing to. But it takes leadership. As we move into more of the pure leadership discussion here, and before I do that, I'm not saying any of this to brag, guys. I, I, I'm just telling you I know me best, and I know my story best, and I see so many of you trying to build something, trying really hard, and I just want to be honest with you, this is what it takes. There's other ways to do it. You know, you can save up money and you can go straight on, you know. There's no guarantees. You can fail. That's the great thing about life. You can fail. Because if you could never fail, I mean, what would be the point of being successful? If you could never fail, what would it matter that you were successful? It wouldn't. So as, as we move into a more of a leadership discussion, this, this is more of a team leadership, but think about it this way. When you train with an airsoft gun, you should train as though it's a firearm. You should respect it like a firearm, et cetera, because then when you, when you actually use a firearm, you want to treat it like a firearm, not like an airsoft gun. Okay? So when you're leading yourself, even when there's nobody following you, you should lead as though there is people following you, as though there are people following you and depending on you, as though there's more than this, just you. So we'll start with a story on this. I don't remember where I heard this story. It might have been from a preacher, for all I remember. But there was a village or a, a, a town or a nation or a kingdom or something like that, and they were shepherds. And the, the, the sheep in this, in this community were the, the finest sheep in all the land. They had the best wool. They had the best meat. They had the most lambs. They were just the epitome of perfection in sheep. And just down the next valley, there was another group of people. They had sheep and goats, and, and they were pretty good too. But they weren't as good. And one day a young man is out with his father. And they're, they're looking at how beautiful their, their sheep and their goats are. And they're talking about how great they are. And they're talking about the other community where they have good animals, but they're just not as good. And the son says to the father, he says, Dad, why are our sheep so much better? They're the same breeds. The grass in their valley is just as green as ours. They have just as much water. They, ha they have everything. It's the same. The weather's the same. When it's sunny here, it's sunny there. When it's rainy here, it's rainy there. Everything's the same. Why are our sheep so much better than theirs? And he said, well, son, here's the difference. If you go to the other community and you watch how they handle their sheep, the shepherds take their staffs and from behind they drive their sheep and they push them from one pasture to the next. And if you look at what our shepherds do, They walk in front. And that's the difference. They walk in front. They lead. They don't drive. That's leadership. 
That's the very definition of leadership. If you're driving people, you're not leading. If you're pushing people, you're not leading. If you're out in front demonstrating, then others will naturally wish to follow you. And they'll trust you. The sheep followed those shepherds because they knew when the shepherd left, the best grass was gone and it was time to move somewhere else. So because they were less stressed, because they were being what they really were supposed to be, sheep, they were better sheep. And when we be what we're supposed to be, which is true human beings, we become better human beings. And we do that through leadership of others, but it starts with leadership of ourselves. So to me, one more thing I want to kind of point out for you is on the political level, in your country, if you're a U.S. citizen, and I don't speak for anybody else's country but my own, but in our country, the United States, your politicians, your president, are not supposed to be leaders. They're supposed to be servants. We are to be, as a constitutional republic, we are to self-lead. That's how we're supposed to work. And then the things that need to be done, like defense of the border from another nation, like making sure that someone who stole property is, is, is held accountable for it, but they're not beaten to death with rocks and slings in the street. Then we, we offset that responsibility, that servant responsibility to a government. And it actually can work fairly well, but only so long as we lead ourselves. We've turned to those people for leadership. And that's where we have failed. Just keep that in mind as I talk about personal leadership today and the keys to personal leadership. It all starts with something you've heard me talk about many, many times before. Circle of influences and circle of concern. If you're going to be effective in your life, and this does come from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Seven, uh, seven Habits of Successful People or whatever it is, uh, seven, seven Habits of Effective People, what, what, what have you. Um, and the reason I don't remember the name is it's very interesting. I was uh, told by somebody, you need to read this book. So I'm like, yeah, maybe. And I was, I'm a big book nerd, right? So I like books, and I like bookstores. And back, this is back when there were still a lot of bookstores around. So I'm at a bookstore, and I pulled the book down. I'm like, yeah, this is the Seven Habits book. That's the thing that guy told me about. And I opened it up randomly, and it was on this page. And it showed a great big circle, and it said, Circle of Concern. And a smaller circle, it said, Circle of Influence. I took the book, I folded it back up, I stuck it back on the shelf and said, well, that's what I needed, I'm done with it. And what that means is there's so many things that you're concerned about. Who's going to win the presidential election tonight? Do you know how much influence you have over that? The square root of F all. Seriously, you have no influence in that. Don't worry about it. I mean, somebody will tell you. Turn the TV on tonight and see who, you know, all you got to do is wait for Florida polls to close, and if, if Trump loses... We got President Clinton. Sorry. That's the way it's going to be. That'll be the first state that'll close that we'll know for sure whether or not the guy has a chance. And you can turn it back on a little later. But I don't know. Work on a business. Build your life. Be a good father. Be a good mother. Be a good brother. Be a good sister. Spend your time doing that. Not worried about what's going to happen. Because you, you don't have any influence on it. There's a lot of things you have no influence on. You just don't. So what you do is you look around and say... What are the things that I actually am concerned about and yet I have influence on? And you focus on those. Now, that will give you 98% of what you need to be effective in life. That's why I didn't read the rest of the book. Because you, you only take the best of a book anyway. I knew right then I, I had found it in that one diagram, in that one picture, that that's what it was all about. 
So that's what I want you to do for yourself. Not because I want it, right? Because I know you want to be effective. I know you want more in your life. I know you want a sense of control. And see, here's the thing. You never feel the way you're supposed to feel as a being unless you have control in your life. And if all the things that you're actually focused on outwardly are things you don't have control over, no matter how much you delude yourself into believing that you know you do have some control over these things, in your heart, in your soul, your spirit, your mind, and your brain, in your consciousness, in your subconsciousness, you know you don't. So you feel out of control. You feel like everybody's controlling things and you can't do anything about it. And you can't because you're focused on the wrong things. So you're miserable. You're miserable. And you're highly ineffective. You don't get shit done. But the minute you start saying to yourself, okay, self, this is occupying my time and I don't have any influence on it. Why am I doing this? I'm being stupid. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go back and focus on the things I actually influence. Your, your, your productivity and whatever it is you want to do goes through the roof. Most people spend the majority of their time focused on things that they have no control over. The next one is you have to define your mission. You have to know, what am I trying to do here? I find so many people that, like, I've started a company. Well, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to make videos and put them on YouTube. To what end? To what purpose? To make money. Okay, that's at least getting somewhere, but what do you want to build? What does it look like when you're done? If, 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 you, if you did 100% bang on the best job you can and I gave you a magic wand and you could wave it and it would basically give you today what you would have in two years of hard work, what does that look like? Why are you doing it? You know, what, what, what are you doing, doing it for beyond, oh, I want money? I mean, that's, that's the starting point. So I took my first job. I wanted money. I sure as hell didn't want a job. I wanted money. And then I started taking jobs I wanted to learn. That was even better. But if you're going to have success in your life, you know, beyond getting the next promotion or whatever, which will probably put you out of a job you're good at to one you're barely capable of and make you miserable eventually if you get promoted long enough, you're going to have to have something you're shooting for. See, it's important that we define the difference between mission and task. So a task is, well, since we're trying to take the hill, if we go back to military, then our first task is to flank to the, the left and discover what the enemy defenses are on that hill. That's a task. Taking the hill is the mission. You could fail at tasks. You fail at tasks all day long because you just replace it with another task. You don't fail at the mission. The mission you either accomplish it or you die trying. And that when you when you define that mission, you can then separate your tasks and your, your short-term goals and your long-term goals from the overriding mission. And when you start to look at something you thought was really important and you realize it's not furthering the mission or it's actually hampering your ability to accomplish the mission, guess what you do? You stop doing it. It doesn't matter how emotionally attached to it you are. It doesn't matter how much money you've already spent on it. When you know it's not helping you get the mission done, you stop doing it. So you have to define a mission. And there's big missions and there's little missions. There's a mission like what I'm going to get done by the end of this week. And then there's that big, huge mission that we're talking about. And they're both important. And in some ways, the short-term missions might be more important because... That big mission, you're going to keep adjusting for. And if you think about it like there's um, there's a spot you need to land a plane on, okay? 
and you see the runway from 50 miles out, and you're not right on your approach, but you're kind of sort of on your approach. You got shitloads of time to correct and adjust and just keep going until you line up right and as you come in, you land. If you're, you know, <clears throat> I don't know, 250 feet from touchdown and you're a lot lined up right, you got a much bigger problem. And you got a much bigger chance of crashing the plane. So, with that in mind, you have to have both that long term and short term mission thinking. So my mission this week is to accomplish these tasks to this end. And it's very important that there's a reason for those tasks to get to that end. Because if it's just a bunch of tasks, then all you have is a, a, a task umbrella that you're putting things under. You're not trying to achieve a certain goal. And in some businesses, a week might be too short. Maybe it's a month. A monthly mission that contributes to the long-term mission. Right? But it's separate the mission and the task. Because a lot of times we sell ourselves on a task being really, really important. Or a project being really, really important. We get into it, and it it's not going right. It's never going to go right. And the overriding mission is suffering because of it. You got to know when to fish and cut bait. Right? One or the other. Next, set priorities on tasks based on what you like least. Do all the shit you don't want to do first. It's so important. Because you'll figure out how to get all the stuff you like done finished within time. For instance, my favorite thing to do on a daily basis for work is this part of my job. Talking into the microphone and sharing my insights and my knowledge and my thoughts with you guys. That's the thing I love most. I do it last. I don't like making up my outline on the blog. And you might think, well, you have to do that before you record it. Nuh-uh. No. I've been doing this eight years. I could sit down on the microphone, turn it on, and just start going. I know what I'm going to write down before I write it down. And I could backfill it. But then I don't really want to do that. So it's 4.35 o'clock. I'm working for myself. I'm supposed to be done by now, hanging out with my wife, and I'm still dicking around on the, on the computer. Why? I never really wanted to do that. So that has to happen first. I Don't take this the wrong way if you email me, but I don't like sorting through 500 emails a day. I don't enjoy that. So I get up in the morning, when I sit down at my desk, it's the first thing that I do. I open up Outlook, and I start nailing them off. Delete, delete, delete. Delete's my favorite button, right? And I just, If you don't hear back from me, don't think it's because I just deleted your stuff, but sometimes it's because I deleted your stuff. I have to make a judgment every day. What can I respond to? What can I put aside to use later? You know, I got to get it done. So I do that first. I don't really like Facebook, but I know it causes a great deal of engagement. It spreads the world, word. It builds another funnel into the community. So I get that stuff knocked out. You know? Um, it's frustrating sometimes to see smart people say stupid things. Uh, but I do it because I think it's a, it's a way that a lot of people want to engage with. I don't really like video production, but I do some videos here and there. And I, if I have that to do in a day, I get that done. I, enjoy sharing with you guys about the different items I've put up for Amazon, but I don't get really excited about doing the post every day for item of the day. It's something that if, if I could, I would probably outtask. I just can't because it wouldn't be genuine then. So I do that. So I get all this shit done that I don't want to do, and then I do the part that I want to do. I do the same thing with homestead stuff. If I have a weekend, you know, a weekend off, From, from, from the regular job. And okay, now I've got all these things that need to happen this weekend. 
When I think, well, I got to do this, I go, oh, I don't want to do that. It goes, number one, first, first item, do that first. Now, I want to start talking about a little bit how, even though we're focused on self-leadership today, how this translates to leading your teams. That's exactly how you lead teams. When you know a, some, you have somebody with a responsibility that they can do, they're confident at, and it needs to be them to get it done, and they don't want to do it, you prioritize it for them as a first thing. Because here's what happens. They end the day happy. They end the week happy. Right? Think about it this way. You have 10 things you need to get done this week. Your boss leaves it to you. And because you're not a self-leader, you do the, the, the eight things you really don't mind doing first. You spend all day Friday slogging through the two you hate. How, what kind of mood are you in when you go home? Maybe relieved, but you're not in a good mood. Now, your boss is a dick like me. So he says, hey, Tom, hey, Frank, hey, Fred, hey, Frida, whatever your name is, right? I need you to take care of these two things today. And the rest of this stuff through the rest of the week. That requires me to be astute and understand that you don't like those things. I got to figure it out. It's not hard. All I got to do, if I'm not, if I don't have a self-leader in front of me, all I got to do is watch you do your own priorities. And where you put the stuff at the back, I pull it to the front for you next week. Now, what happens is you have a pretty shitty Monday because you don't want to do it. But you come back to work Tuesday. I, I'm done with that. I get to do this now. Right? And you fly through the rest of the week. Usually end up, you know, if it was, I gave you a true week's worth of work, you could kind of be done on Thursday, a lot of people. Well, you can do that for yourself. You don't need some dick like me doing it for you. Do it for yourself. Put the shit you don't want to do at the top of the list. And do it first. The next thing is be passion driven, but be pragmatic as well. Um, I've given heat to people like Mark Cuban who say, you know, it's not about passion. Or, you know, because they're like, that's just a, a buzz phrase that, 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 uh, that, uh, you know, feel good speakers are using now and all. Passion doesn't matter as much as, you know, the product and does it fill a need and do the numbers work and everything. And, and the reason I get on Mark Cuban for that is Mark Cuban's full of shit. Mark Cuban's a billionaire because he followed his passion. Mark Cuban was driving around in his car, pissed off because he couldn't listen to Indiana play basketball in Dallas came up with the idea for AudioNet, which became Broadcast.com, which he sold to Yahoo for almost $4 billion. And then Yahoo screwed it up. He didn't care because he was done. He went out and bought the Dallas Mavericks, which basketball is another one of his passions. Okay? So it's kind of disingenuous. What Mark really means is passion is great, but you have to have pragmatism to go with it. I wish he'd say it that way, but you know, I don't get to lead his life. He doesn't get to lead mine. Right? I don't have any influence over Mark Cuban. I had a purchase order with his name on it for $1.4 million at one time in my life. I was pretty proud of that. And eventually I realized that was ego, and I tossed it out. Didn't really need it anymore. Got the money. It was over and done with. No reason to carry it around like a trophy. But when I, when I talk about this, it's passion. Passion is the driver, but pragmatism is the compass. Right. So if you're driven... And you go running off into the woods, you're going to get lost. But you have a compass and a map, that's your pragmatism. So my passion is to orienteer through this wilderness. But the passion only takes me so far. I need the pragmatism to go along with it. And I see so many people, like they just think, well, I believe in this business so much, it's got to succeed. It doesn't work that way. Or I believe in this This goal so much, it has to succeed. Maybe it's a charitable goal. Maybe Who knows what it is, right? I believe in this thing so much, it has to come true. 
when I was a, a, a kid, I loved football. I loved playing football. And there was a time, you know, like all little kids, I'm going to go play college football, and then I'm going to go play pro football. Guys, I was a pretty good football player, but I wasn't that good. It was never going to happen. And no matter what I did, I was never going to be a pro football player. You know, I'm blind in one eye. That doesn't help. You know, I'm slow as shit. You know, I'm, I'm talking about when I was in the best shape of my life. Sprinting-wise, I'm slow. I'm not very tall. You know, there's there's limits to what any of us can do. And pragmatism says, well, <clears throat> do you really love football? My answer was no. My answer was I didn't really love football as much as I thought I did. I liked playing it. But I didn't really love it. Because if I had true passion for football, maybe I would have done something like Mark Cuban and made a way. Maybe I would have beat him to the punch. I would have been the guy that came up with audio net to listen to football games. Or I would have gone down a, a career path, you know, of working, becoming a coach. Maybe, you know, with a goal of becoming like a, a defense or, or offensive coordinator or something like that. There, there was a path to football. I didn't really care. But the pragmatism lesson there is if you're really passionate about something, then you have to define what you're actually able to do. There are limits. We all have them. We are all Picassos and Rembrandts and something. But many times, it's not quite the thing we thought it was. Or a business, if you have a product that the market rejects, your belief won't do anything except get you into more debt and deeper in a hole and closer to bankruptcy. You have to adjust. Either you're explaining the product wrong, you're marketing it wrong, or it's just a failure. You thought it met a need and it didn't. Well, fish or cut bait. Figure out another product. Figure out another angle. It's focused on the mission instead of the task. That's where the pragmatism comes in. But but by God, pick something you want to do. Why the hell, in 2016, when you literally can build a business based on anything, or you literally can you know do anything, you can learn about anything, you can become educated about anything, would you choose to do any of that shit with something you don't like or don't want? Don't do it. You also need to find ways to inspire yourself. People say good leaders are inspirational. You know, and I've had some pretty inspirational talks with some of my people that have worked for me. And I've seen it work. I've sat down with salespeople and said, look, you're making your quota. Wouldn't you like to make your bonus? Yeah, but it's hard this year. No. Let's go through the numbers and figure out where we can. And, and by the time you're done with the conversation, because they believe they can do it, they can. Back to pragmatism, though, talking about good salespeople with a good product in the right market. They just didn't realize, hey, I could make one extra call a day by taking this adjustment in my schedule. I'm saying this one thing to clients I should never say. I'm saying this one thing, and even though I know what I'm talking about, they don't. It's giving them doubts about my product or my service. That can be done with inspiration. You inspire someone to analyze their, their mistakes, analyze their, their schedule, analyze their life, or to just work harder. You find sometimes people think they're working hard, but they're not. They're not working hard. They're, they're, they're phoning it in 50% of the day. But because they work the full day, and because they're tired at the end of the day, because they feel like they did something, and because they did get stuff done, they feel like they're working really hard. You can come down on them, or you can inspire them. Well, when it comes to your own life, you can only rely so much on external sources of inspiration. 
You have to learn to inspire yourself. Part of what inspired me was when I was building TSP, when I tell my partners what I've been doing and that I'm quitting and that I'm walking away, they're going to think I'm crazy and they're going to believe it can't possibly work. But by the time I do that, it will already be working. I won't be telling them I'm going to go off and open a restaurant or I'm going to go off and do this. I will have literally built this. And when they say, but you can't pay your bills with it, I can say I already can pay my bills with it. That was inspiring to me because I liked the people I worked with at the, at the partnership level. It was employees I had issues with. It was, geez, wow. Um, and, 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 and I knew that in the end, while they might be a little bit perturbed because, well, we want you here, I knew they would respect it. That was a little bit inspiring for me. I was inspired by the fact that one day I'm going to come home and tell my wife, I'm ready. You don't have to deal with only having me a couple hours a day anymore. That I'll be able to wake up, kiss my wife in the morning, and never leave the house. That was inspiring. I was inspired by the fact that I was getting things from you guys, saying, I did this and it worked. I've changed my life because of what you're doing. Things like that. And, and so that's the external inspiration. But the internal inspiration was, man, this matters. This matters to people. I need to think about the person it's going to matter to tomorrow that doesn't even know yet. That's inspiring. But I get inspired by nature. You know, it's hard to do that today. I'm looking at my turkeys. They're, they're fat and ready for slaughter. That's not a happy thought, except I won't be sad to see them go. It's dreary and dark. It looks like winter outside and it's wet and it's raining and, you know, but when that sun's shining, the birds are singing and everybody's happy, that's inspirational to me. I get inspired by a walk in the woods. I get inspired by reading great books. I get inspired by great music. I get inspired when I see my granddaughter smile. All of these moments, you need to take them in and need to realize this life is the only one you've got. So make the most of it. In fact, on that, if you go to the blog today and pull up this episode, you'll see a quote by Steve Jobs. Here's what it says. Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You're already naked. There's no reason not to follow your heart. And I'll just add to that with some pragmatism and make sure you're doing it in a way that's effective. But we're all going to die. Be inspired. Live. Love. Every day. There's people at the end of their lives that lived miserable lives that would, 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 would give the, the, whatever fortune they have left for one more day and they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even live it with gusto and, and, and love and inspiration. You, you have to have some level of hope, some level of inspiration in your soul. And whenever you find yourself getting down and miserable and upset and like, I don't know if this is really worth it or whatever, you have to turn around and say, yes, it is, because this is what it's going to be like. This is what's going to be like when I get there. And you have to believe that you can. Because it's a mission. You either succeed at a mission or you die trying. It's not a task. Throw those away. Focus on the mission. 
I also would say put compromise in your back pocket. And what I mean by that is I spent a lot of years employed making compromises, like sitting down to dinner with a consultant and a contractor and a customer and making them all feel like they were the only contractor, consultant, customer in my world and making them feel like they all should be brothers and get along and this would be a great project, we can do this together and you know they'll handle the project management and they'll do the installation and this is what they need and we'll make sure it all works. And the truth was, three of those guys, if I didn't have that job, you couldn't have paid me to sit next to one of them and listen to them talk about their bullshit. I didn't like any of them. They were detestable people to me. Not all of them. I, if you're out there listening and you're from my past, I'm probably not talking about you. Okay, But we've all been there. We've all had to make compromises. I've been asked to do things by a company I was working for that I thought were wrong, but it wasn't illegal. And it was either do it or get fired. So I would compromise and do it the best that I could with as much mitigation as I could add to it. We all do this because we have to. When you step out on your own or when you're in parts of your life where you are not in the control of another person, put the compromise in the back pocket, which means it's not gone, but it's never the first option. And then you use it judiciously, right? You, you think very carefully before you compromise. Because if it's a, if it's a thing you really don't want to do, but it's not a bad thing, it's not a wrong thing, it doesn't violate your personal ethical code, and it will further the mission, and it makes sense, and it won't do long-term harm, then we pull compromise out and say, we're going to do this. But when it, when it violates your moral core, when you say, this is against what I believe, period, leave it in your pocket. Leaders know how to do this. Leaders know how to, when they're in a company and they're asked to have their team do something like this, to fight tooth and nail to prevent it. And then to mitigate it if they have to execute it with their team. You have to do that in your own life. Because there's no one there to do it for you. Put compromise to your back pocket. The next one is embrace hardship and struggle. I think one of the biggest problems we have in our world today is people's lives have been too easy. Almost every successful entrepreneur I know, when you say, what was your childhood like? There's, there's not, it's not, well, it was great. It was wonderful. It was perfect. It's usually quite a bit of hardship. You know, I think if I did, did anything wrong as a father with my son, I made his life too easy. I solved too many problems for him. And I was tougher than most. I think back to when I was a kid and we had so little. And especially by my teens when the whole family went completely freaking psycho apeshit nuts. And just being 15 years old and, and just being 100% responsible for myself. Sometimes making the right decisions, sometimes making the wrong decisions, but staying out of jail and getting out of school. I managed to do that. You know, being 16 and having rent to pay because I didn't live at home anymore. That type of thing. And when I tell people my story and I go into the details, which I won't today, a lot of people that seem to have sympathy for me. I'm like, don't you do that. Don't you have sympathy for me? I wouldn't change that if I could. Because that's what made me able to be the person that I am today. I got through that hardship. And th there's a couple things about that. One, it strengthens you. It's the, it's the crucible. Two, you know, 
if I ever have to go back to that, I can handle it. I can deal with it. I've already done that. I don't want to. But not only do I know I can do it, I know I can come through it and I can I can make myself better than I was. So you don't fear it anymore. You're not afraid to lose everything. You're not afraid to crash and burn on something. You're not afraid to try something and have it fail. You're not afraid to lose all your money. You don't want to. You don't go out of your way to make it happen, but you stop being afraid of it. You start learning to hold money the right way. You know how you hold money? You hold money like sand. Okay? If you hold sand with a completely open hand, you can't hold it. It all falls out. If you hold it really, really tight, you can hold almost no sand because it all goes out between your fingers. You crush it, and it just oozes ways to find out. You pick sand up. You want to hold as much sand as you can. You hold a closed fist loosely. That's how you hold money. You hold it, but you don't hold it like a miser, and you don't hold it with an open hand. Just a little financial lesson thrown in there. But embrace hardship and struggle. When you've lived a life where you've never really had any hardship, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a hardship, no matter what it is, no matter how hard it is, have some piece of you. Because some of it can be really like losing a person you love or something. I mean, that's... You, you need to let yourself mourn. You need to let yourself have sadness in that situation. But some piece of you should be like, this is good for me. Because when I get through this, I'll be better. And I didn't ever have the opportunity to go through hardship. Now now I do. You lose a job, you were making good money, and now you're out and you're like, shit, I'm going to have to take anything I can get just to have some money coming in so I can find something really good again. Woohoo! Great! What an opportunity. What an opportunity. Then maybe one day you'll be back on top and you'll have a great story that will inspire others. Inspire yourself. Embrace hardship and struggle. Because, again, most of the people that I know that are truly successful in life had hardship and struggle. And most of the people I know that are just kind of like, their life's okay, but they're kind of rudderless. They don't really know the millennials, okay? You 30-year-olds, this describes so many of you to a T. And the millennials I know that are the exception, they had hardship. They had hardship. Some of the most successful people in the world come from broken homes. That doesn't mean that should be the goal. But why? Because it sucks. you got to get through it. You get through it. You know, Basically, people that go through shitty childhoods that stay out of jail tend to become very successful. Once they get into that system, it's, it's bad news. And I have friends that ended up in that system. You know, never did anything really bad yet somehow managed to spend, you know, 20 of, of 30 years in, in jail, prison, etc., back and forth. Because once you're in that system, it's such a terrible thing. So don't go to the extreme, but embrace hardship and struggle. The next one. When you're working on something and you get to good enough, go just a little further. Always when you say, that's good enough, say, okay, I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. I'm going to go just a little further. Now, okay, guys, we can mess this up if we take it too literally. Like, you got the picture level, but it could be a little better, and then it's all messed up again. Or you can take a little bit more off the leg of the table, and now it's, you know, the table's two feet shorter because you have to keep chasing it. So don't, don't take it too literally. But in general, what I'm saying is close. So one of the greatest running backs of all time was Walter Payton. And one time they asked Walter Payton, you know, how did you get so many yards in your, your career? He said, I always closed. 
You know, whether the run was a five-yard run, a 15-yard, a 20-yard run, didn't 30-yard run, didn't matter. A two-yard run, a one-yard run. Once they had me and I knew I was going down, I pushed for one more yard. If I got a foot, fine. I pushed for it. I got it. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Close on those things. Where Steve Harvey says, jump. Go for it. So when you get that, that website, you say, that's good enough. Okay, what's, what's one thing that I can make better today before I quit? Right? You do that video that you edited and you put real production value into, that's good enough. What's one thing I can do to make it a little bit better? You know, you, 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 whatever it is in your life, you know, certain things along the way on that mission, when it's good enough, just a little bit more. And this is the thing. It seems like it makes no difference. But imagine two people. One goes through life and, and executes well and always gets to good enough with everything they do. The other person, once a day, once a day, gets to good enough and says, okay, this is my good enough today that I'm going to do a little bit better and does a little bit better that day. What is the cumulative effect of that over a year, five years, a decade, two decades? And that was Walter Payton's point with running. That extra three yards this game that was made up over six runs doesn't seem like anything. But 16 games a year for a full career, and it's the difference of being at the bottom of the list, the middle of the list, or the top of the list. Always close. Go a little further. Next is, and this is a big thing that I see a lot of people doing out there, don't try to be anyone else. Be who you really are. If you like my model and you want to emulate it, go for it. But do it your way. Don't try to do it just like Jack. You know, if you, if you there's a lot of people I admire that, that I don't try to be just like. I told you I like football. I, I, I think one of the most inspiring players <coughs> that I've ever seen play the game, and many of you will be surprised by this because you know that I'm a, a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan, But it's another quarterback other than Terry Bradshaw that has four Super Bowl rings, and that would be um, Joe Montana. I grew up in the 80s, guys. I mean, Bradshaw was done, right? If you're a Steelers fan in the 80s and you made it to the other side of the 80s still being a fan, you, you really were a fan, and I really was a fan. But you know, you, you also like to see people win. And I remember the way Joe Montana played and the way he, he came back. Uh, so many times from like, you know, the 49ers are going to lose and he came back and he even took that winning uh, mentality to Kansas City when they were a terrible team and almost got them to the Super Bowl two years in a row before he finally said, okay, I'm done now, you know, and I, it was the leadership the guy had that I admired. There was so many things about Joe Montana that I admired. I admired how sometimes he would get hit, just brutal hit because, you know, again, the 80s and early 90s football was different. Right, you could smack the piss out of a quarterback back then, and it was okay. And I saw him take some really bad hits. One time, I saw him take a hit and not get up. Right, but I mean, I saw another time where he took a, a hit. It seemed almost as bad, but he was okay. And he got up and he looked at the guy that, that that took him down, and he patted him on the shoulder and said, "Good hit." And it was actually an interview later. They said, "What did you say to him?" He said, "Tom was a good hit." And I was like. A young kid thinking, this is a man. I want to be like this to a degree. 
but I didn't cut my hair like Joe Montana, right? I didn't walk around wearing his jersey. I just admired what he did. See, and that's the way to have people inspire you. That's the way to have role models. You know, and that's the way to have mentors, whether they be actual mentors or, you know, mentors that don't know they're your mentor. It is to, to, to like admire what they do, but take what they have into yourself that you want to take in, the things you want to emulate, and emulate those things because you, they're part of who you really are. Make yourself better with them. Learn from them. But still be yourself. Don't try to be just like them. Don't do everything they do just because they do it. Don't ever make them your hero. The, the, the problem with making people into heroes is sooner or later they're going to let you down and it hurts. A, a hero is somebody that saves a life. You know, and they're a hero for that thing. They're not a hero in everything else they do in their world. There's some people that have done some really heroic things. Their, their overall life, if you the totality of their life, they're shitbags. Right? Don't make people your heroes. Have respect for people, look up to people, you know, be inspired by people, but don't latch on to them. Because they'll always fall short of what you thought that they were. Because they're humans. And, and, and the problem with that is it's not fair to the person you're making into a hero. If they don't know it, then it's not really a big deal. But sometimes, you know, people, you, you do know people that you have kind of a hero complex for. And the person feels like, I can't live up to this. That's why famous people, whether they're minorly famous or, or you know, big-time famous, that haven't figured that out yet, take drugs, kill themselves, etc. Because they're, they're, they're carrying all this weight. Now, now, the good news is if you know that in advance, no matter how much success you have, you can jettison that shit and say, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not responsible for all these people, you know, as far as their actual lives. I'm responsible for this thing that I do with them or for them, and that's it. And you draw that boundary. That's how you stay mentally sane. But understand that from the other side. Don't try to be somebody else. There's a ton of people out there right now who this is their plan for business. I want to start homesteading, videoing everything, and putting it on YouTube. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And there's dozens of people doing it successfully. And there's room for a hundred more. There really is. It's totally scalable. As long as you do it as who you really are. If you're trying to be somebody else, if you're trying to be like Wrangler Star, you're not going to be successful. If you're Tom, you have to be Tom. If, if, if you're Tom and you don't really know what the F you're doing as you start your journey, be very clear. I don't know what I'm doing at all. I'm going to learn as I go, and I'm going to take you guys along for the ride. You're going to see me screw some stuff up. If you do know what you're doing, let's say you, you're, you're going to build a channel based on uh, uh, aquaponics. There's this guy, Bob's Backyard Aquaponics or something, Backyard Farming. Somebody, he's an Aussie. I love his channel. This guy is a flipping expert. Then be an expert if you are. Or be an idiot that becomes an expert in, you know, in, in real reality TV. And this is for everything, not just YouTube. But I'm just giving you it as an example. Don't try to be somebody else. Be who you are at your core, and then find the things in your life that fit that core. Because not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. But everybody needs to be a self-directed leader. You have to lead yourself. This is not an entrepreneurial talk today. This is an inspirational talk for leadership in yourself. This will help you be a better leader in your church if that's what you want to be. This will help you lead people who don't even know you're leading them.
I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the secret right now. This is really a secret. I, I I've held on to this for a long time because I've always thought I would write a book someday about this, and I would this would be the thing I would put in that book that I don't think anybody's ever said before, not to my knowledge anyway. The secret of good leaders is they get people to accept them as leaders, and those people don't even know they've done it. That's the master leader. The master leader is in a place where there is an appointed leader, but everybody listens to him or her instead. You know, and it, sometimes it's so it's so subtle. The leader says we should go do this, and then the the natural leader just says, "Well, that's interesting. I was thinking maybe we might consider this." And all the heads turn. There's a consensus. And the official leader, if they're smart, embraces it as their own and then leads the team. But they're not leading. They're not leading. The natural leader is the kid that, that when they, you know, when their kids are going to pick teams or whatever, he ends up being the captain and, and he never asks to be. Leadership, the, the master of leaders is the leader that gains followers without asking them to follow. You just turn around and they're there. It's like Forrest Gump. Remember Forrest Gump when he's running across the country and everybody thought he had to be running for some cause or something like that for some reason? And all of a sudden there's a couple people following him. Next thing you know, he's like going back and forth across the country and there's a hundred people running with him with beards growing like his. Never asked anybody to follow him. You know why? You act and you do. And what happens in the end? He stops. For those who never saw the movie, he stops. He turns around and says, Well, that's it. I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home now. And just starts walking in the opposite direction. See, don't make a hero out of somebody like that. But real leaders, they just start a course. And they start, and this is, if you do this self-leadership thing, You'll find yourself a leader in your family. You won't ask anybody to follow you. You won't tell anybody to follow you. No one will say, hey, hey, Tom, I, I, th I think you're the leader of the family now. I'm not talking about your nuclear family. I'm talking like extended family and friends and stuff like that. You practice self-leadership, and people are drawn to it like a magnet. Because people don't want uncertainty in their lives. Leaders have embraced uncertainty and defined a path of certainty amongst it. Like, we're going to do this, this, and this. Well, what if that doesn't work? Well, then we'll do something else. That's just the attitude you have. And the more you do it, and the more you execute it, the more confidence you build, and you exude confidence. And the confidence and arrogance are not the same thing. Confidence is what you want from the surgeon that's about to cut your head open. Or the surgeon that did that with my wife, that walked in and could tell what she was scared and said, listen, You've been on this, these, these harsh medications for eight years. You are much safer on my operating table than you are taking these medications for one more day. That wasn't arrogance. That wasn't arrogance at all. That was pure confidence. I've done this operation hundreds of times. He didn't say this, but no, I, I know what he was thinking because now I know exactly who he is. I am the best in the country at this individual procedure. People in other countries fly to Dallas so that I can be their surgeon for this surgery. 
But he just said, you're safer on my operating table than you are taking those drugs. And he 1,000% believed it. That's confidence. And confidence can be seen in actions, not just words. When you see somebody confident in the actions they're taking, you can tell. You can tell when somebody's nervous. Hand, hand a Marine or an ex-Army guy you know, an AR-15 and say, take this apart. Ba-boom, 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 bam. Would you like it back together now? Right? Now teach somebody to do it. They've only done it a few times. And they're actually pretty good at it. But you got a group around them now and say, show everybody how to take it apart. Even if they do it right, you can tell they're nervous. And you can tell the, the, the retired gunny is like, whatever, here, like this, and that, that goes there, and here you go, done. Doesn't even look like he's doing it fast, and yet it happens fast. Why? Confidence. Now, I'm not saying go learn how to do that with an, with an M16 or an AR-15. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's, that's, the, that's, that's the art of confidence. That's the art of mastery. And, and you, you get that by being who you really are. The next thing is <clears throat> never shift responsibility or make excuses. You, you can tell, I have people that, that want to tell me about their great business, and I say, well, okay, how much revenue are you doing right now? Well, not much, but it's because I've lost interest. Because I know what's coming next. I had a partner that did this. And, I, and they all might actually be valid reasons. I want to know what your My response to that is, well, not much right now. Well, what are you going to do to change that? I have no interest in the history of how it got screwed up. Unless it's a, yeah, a programming glitch, something that still has to be corrected. But that would be answered in the, in the well, we're going to fix these things. The only, if I'm interested in, in, in history, I'll say, well, how'd they get that way? Usually I'm not, because I know I'm going to hear some sob story about how somebody screwed you over. If you're running a business, and it's your business, and it's not running well, it's your fault. Okay? In fact, I'm going to play something for you right now, just for a little humor, humor and levity. This is from The uh, Simpsons, and it involves a, uh, a situation where Homer is supposed to give a kidney to his father, and he, he volunteered to give him a kidney, and uh, but he didn't know what he was doing. And then he went to his buddies, and his buddies told him, that with one kidney, he won't be able to drink himself stupid anymore. And he starts learning more about it. He freaks out. And he has this conversation with his wife, Marge, in bed. Here you go, Homer Simpson. Marge, I've been thinking. What if instead of donating one of my old, worn-out kidneys, I gave Grandpa that artificial kidney I invented? No, oh, Homer, that was just a beer can with a whistle glued to it. Oh, but I don't want them cutting up my soft, supple body. Why didn't somebody tell me what I was volunteering for? This is everybody's fault but mine. And like so many things from The Simpsons, that sums up what's wrong in America today. All you hear from everybody is, well, it's not my fault, it's their fault. If it wasn't for these people, if it wasn't for those, this is everybody's fault but mine. No, it's your fault. Whatever's in your life is your fault. And if you even are a genuine victim, somebody really did screw you over, somebody really did mug you, rob you, burn your house down, whatever it is, it is not your fault that it happened, but it is your fault if you're not doing anything about it. You can sit there and wallow in your own misery, or you can embrace hardship and gain from it. It's up to you. You, you can't shift responsibility. See, this goes back to the crossover. You start with yourself that way. 
And then it's natural. And when you do end up as a leader on a team and one of your team members screws up and your higher up comes to you about it, you just say, I'll take care of it. It's my fault. Even if, you know, this Jaboni that works for you is a complete screw up. Your job is to stand between him and your boss. Now, you might go him and you might lean on and say, you got to fix this shit. You know, the big boss came down on me on this today. But he should know. I, 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 didn't, I insulated you from this. I did not blame you for this. I took responsibility for it, but now you fix it. <laughs> you lead like that, people will follow you to war. You lead the other way. Well, Tony screwed it up. You're still in the same position. You're still a leader. You still have to go make Tony fix it. But your team now feels like, well, he just threw Tony under the bus. Even though Tony, Tony's a shitbag, he still threw him under the bus. And when you do that, then you lose confidence in, in the rest of your team. It starts at home. starts with yourself. Shirking responsibility. That's just something that Americans have become freaking masters at, and it's sad. And it, it really ties right in with my last point for you guys today. And if I had to... If I had to pin down the biggest thing lacking in our country today, it, it would be on this one. Above all, be honest, especially with yourself. There's a lot of people out there that are generally honest people. Um, if, if you say to them, uh, if they sell a certain kind of car and you say, does this car have this option? They're not going to lie to you and say it does just to make a sale when it doesn't. right? They'll tell you the truth. Or if you say... You know, have you ever stolen anything in your lifetime? And they, you know, when they were a kid, they stole bubble gum or something. They'll say, well, yeah, it was no big deal, but I did. So they'll be honest that way. But the biggest problem people have isn't being honest with others. It's being honest with themselves. Let me put it to you this way. This is your quotable moment from today's show. Nobody believes your bullshit more than you do. It's what I call self-directed intellectual masturbation. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. Everybody's going to love it, right? And now there's a point for having that vision. It's going to be great. But are you being honest about it? Are, are you really on the right path? Or have you, have you strayed so far from the path that you need to take a moment and kick your own ass and get back on the path? It's amazing how much people believe their own bullshit. And when they really start believing their own bullshit, they actually think you're going to believe it. That's how you can tell they're in that mode. They start, you know telling you a story and you're like, well, that's bullshit. And they're not really being dishonest at that point. They are, but they're not. Because what it is, is they've actually convinced themselves they're telling the truth. If they were attached to a lie detector, they'd pass. Until you check them on it. Say, well, is that really how that works? Ugh. So that's what you have to be, is honest with yourself. Am I really good at this? I mean, here's here's some questions that, that I, I'm thinking about putting together some kind of a little online tool where people can, like, gain that sense of direction for themselves. And part of it would be a series of questions you have to answer honestly, because I'll never see it. It's for you. You print it out and use it in your life. But, like, here's some of your questions. What are you great at? What do you love? People are really good at answering those and answering them accurately. Okay. What do you hate? And don't give me stuff on your hate list like politicians that are out of... What do you hate that's actually something you have to do? What are you bad at? What are you really bad at? Because here's what you can do. When you make a list of things you're bad at, you can say, okay, all of these things are things that I need to be a little better at. 
So they go on my list of things to self-improve for. All of these other things are just absolute limitations to who I am as a person. They don't really hurt anybody. So when I'm designing my life or my business or whatever, I have to design to my strengths and to my weaknesses. Since I, I, I suck at organization, if I'm going to have a larger company with employees, I'm going to have an organizational person that's going to be responsible for my schedule. Because I suck at that. I, I'm not interested in it. That's, a, that's another thing. What are you interested in? And what bores you? What bores you that shouldn't? Like, it really is kind of important, but you just don't give a shit. Right? What bores you that you don't have to give a shit about? Well, then don't bother with that anymore. Th th these types of questions. When are you at your best? As in when you're doing something and, and as a time of day. Are you a morning person? Are you an evening person? Are you an afternoon person? When are you at your best? When are you at your worst? Including doing something, certain activities, being forced into certain situations. Avoid that shit. You know, I can't. Well, maybe you can't, but have you tried? <laughs> you know? Having this honest self-interview, I think, is a good thing. Maybe I'll do a show just on that in the future, because we kind of worn this one out today, and I'm, I'm trying to be easy. It's why I'm kind of quieter than usual, trying to let my, my throat heal. I'm still dealing with this freaking cold, man. What the hell I got? But be honest with yourself. You know, my final thoughts on this today... You have a choice in your life every day that you wake up to say, from this day forward, I'm in charge of my own shit, and I'm going to act like it. Or to make excuses, to be apathetic, to worry about shit that you, you don't really control. Do you know why you do that in the first place? Do you know why you worry about things you and, and like occupy your time with things that you know you don't really have any control over? Because it's a pleasant distraction from the things that you do. It's an excuse. It's nothing but an excuse. As my dad used to say, excuses are la like assholes. Everybody's got one and they all stink. It's an excuse. Don't have excuses. You know? You say, well, I can't waste my time on that. Here's the stuff I got to get done. Here's the things I got to do. Think about it this way. If I did hire you, and I gave you a team of four people, and you were supposed to do, we'll call it task A every week. That's your job, task A. Because it doesn't matter what it is. And each one of your members has certain strengths and weaknesses, certain things they need to get done. And you came in, and they were on Facebook arguing with other people about politics, and all their work wasn't effing done yet. What would you say? Get that shit off your screen or you're going to get fired. Get your shit done. Right? You might be a little more diplomatic than I am. That's what I would actually say. What is wrong with you? Are you stupid? You weren't even smart enough to shut that off when I walked in here? You have work to do. I'm paying you right now. Get your shit done. You know, I'm pretty easygoing, and you get all your shit done, and I'm happy, and I feel like we're, we're hitting 110% of goal, and you want to screw off a little bit? I'll let you. But right now, you're not done. Get that shit done. You'd do it, too. All of you would. Especially if your job was on the line, you'd do it. So why won't you do it with yourself? Why won't you kick your own ass? You know, again, everybody believes their own bullshit. And nobody believes their your bullshit more than you do. Right? Stop believing your bullshit and start being honest with yourself. That really sums it all up. And our country, if we taught this one lesson as a high school class, 
self-leadership. And we taught our children to do this. This country would be better in 20 years than it's been in the last hundred. It's all it would take. It's all that it would take. It really is that simple. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, if you feel like this was worth 20 cents, consider joining the Members Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members, and you help support this show uh, by buying a membership in the Members Support Brigade. You also will get discounts to things that will pay for your membership. There's over 60, it's almost 70 vendors now that I have in the MSB with great discounts on really great stuff, a lot of things that you'll probably be buying throughout the year anyway. And I've got a ton of discounts for you. Go take a look at it. Go to survivalpodcast.com. Click on members to learn more. And remember, if you're not sure about it, you can try it out for as little as five bucks a month. Sign up. And if you don't like it, go on PayPal and cancel. Right? So give it a shot today if you haven't up till now. Or you can do it for, for a full year. That's going to be 50 bucks, uh, which gives you a $10 discount over $5 a month. It'll be worth it. And by the way, I've never had anybody ask for a refund and not said, here you go. You know, here you go. Now, if you, you have a one-year membership and you're at day 364, I, I probably wouldn't do it. But I, you know what? I probably would. Here's your money. I've given people their money back didn't ask for it because they bitched. Here. And, and I'm not taking your membership away. Here's a refund for this year. You bitched about something. I don't want you bitching about it. That, I mean, that's how I really feel. I want you to be satisfied. So give it a shot. Five bucks a month. And remember, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, and first responders all qualify for a discount. Email me before, not after you join. Send that email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put TSPC service discount in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences. But you got to do it before, not after you join. Now, the other way that you can uh, be, support our show is just to do all of your shopping on Amazon by going to TSPAS first. That's all you got to do. TSPAS.com. There's a link. Click here to shop Amazon. You click that link. You shop Amazon. You buy whatever you want, you know, like you were going to do anyway. And you support our show. It costs you not a dime. I don't know an easier way to support something than to do something you were going to do anyway and take one little extra step. So tspaz.com is that step. But I do have review items for you every day. Today, I have um, the Loophole VX1 2-7x33 scope is our item of the day with a review. I even have a little video up for this one. A good friend recently gifted me a rifle that I've been wanting for a while, the, the uh, Ruger 77 .357, and I wanted to put a nice scope on it. And um, when I took a look at the VX1 line of Leupold scopes, I realized these were quite affordable, not cheap, affordable scopes, right? $199 for a Leupold is an affordable Leupold scope. This thing is beautiful. The clarity is amazing, and it's like this perfect scope for, you know, these smaller rifles. This would be beautiful on a, a Ruger 1022. Uh, it's great on the Ruger 77. It would be great on, like, a Model 7 Remington, you know, or a mountain rifle, you want to keep it light. The whole thing weighs 0.62 pounds, and it's just an exceptional scope. And if you've been looking for a scope, you don't want to overscope a gun. Check out my review and the video of that one today. But remember, as always, tspaz.com when you shop on Amazon. It's that simple. Next up, the other thing you can do to uh, support our community and people that are being leaders in their own lives and being entrepreneurs is to shop the TSP Business Directory. Just go to tspbiz.com. You'll see a directory there. You can search. You can read reviews. You can leave reviews. Today's supporter of the directory is Great Escape Farms, offering root cuttings of unique edible plants from their nursery. They also blog daily about permaculture and other homesteading topics at greatescapefarms.com. And, of course, there's a link 
in today's show notes, and you can find them in the TSP business directory. Remember, you can list your business for as little as five bucks per six months, and we have other options for more exposure at the directory. Check it out today, tspbiz.com. That brings us to our song of the day. I, I, I really wish my voice was in better shape so I could have been a little more animated, a little more emotional today, but I hope you kind of got a good ass-kicking today in, in some ways, like a subtle, soft ass-kicking that makes you realize this is the shit I need to be doing in my life so that my life can be better like Jack promises it can be. And there's no one that can do this but me. So I wanted kind of an ass-kicking song for you today. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know what? Eye of the Tiger, man. Remember, I, if you're an 80s child, man, you remember Rocky 5001, whatever, you know, right? Just Rocky movie after Rocky movie. This was, uh, I think it was Rocky 3, right, when he fought the big Russian dude, right? No, 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 this was this was Rocky 2 when he fought uh, Mr. T, right? And, and Apollo Creed comes to him and says, you know, the reason you beat me in our second matchup, that was Rocky 3, that was Rocky 3, because it was second match, it was Rocky 3, 4 was the Russian. So, see how many Rockies there were? But the reason you beat me is you had something I didn't at that point. I've gotten soft. You had the eye of the tiger. I want to hope you get it back. You can beat this guy, right? And I don't think the Rocky movies are the greatest movies in the world or anything, but, you know, they were, they were, they were what they were, and they were... Good enough that there's there's almost five million of them, right? Um, but this song, like this song was so big in the 80s. It was huge. There's actually another movie that came out that it was a title track for. It was a really cheesy, typical, you know, shoot 'em up 1980s movie. I think it came out in 86, and it was called Eye of the Tiger. You can check that out if you want to. But kind of as you're thinking about leading your own life, listen to this song at the end of today's show. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy the show. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.